0: good to be with all of you at the Compass Church. Thinking of those of you who are joining us online. Welcome. And to everybody at Bolingbrook, South Naperville, Naperville, and Wheaton, welcome back to week two of our series called Hidden Treasures, where we are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to start today's message by telling you a sad story. There's a dear friend of mine who recently lost his dad his father passed away suddenly and unexpectedly and my friend was not only grieving the the loss of his father but he was his dad's only child and so he felt the weight on his shoulders of the need to go through all of dad's stuff you know that's what happens when we lose a loved one maybe you've experienced this that awkward thing of going through their home and trying to sort through all their possessions and to decide what to throw away and what to keep. And uh, quite honestly, it's a difficult part of the journey. Well, my friend who lost his dad, he had that responsibility on himself as an only child. And so he's going through the whole house, including the freezer. He was in his dad's freezer trying to decide, what do I do with the food You know, in some cases, he said, I suppose I can keep some of it. But in other cases, he was like, "Uh, yeah, no, I think throw that away. And he came across a container of sour cream, which struck him a little odd. Sour cream in the freezer. But he could have thrown it away. But he thought instead, I'm going to take just a look first. And you will not believe what he found cash my friend was utterly shocked and he had to analyze what was it effect that he had he realized his dad had put in 20s and hundreds and tens and by the time he got done counting it all he found that his dad had put ten thousand dollars into a sour cream container well, he was delighted with the find and also admired the ingenuity of his father. You know, his dad was saying, where can I stash some cash where a, a robber wouldn't find it? Pretty brilliant, don't you think? I mean, what robber is like, oh man, frozen sour cream. That's what I was looking for. He, he's right. There's, there's a sense in which you'd never expect cash in a container like this. You'd never expect treasure inside of a worthless container, an unimpressive container. Do you know that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he used the imagery to describe himself as treasure in jars of clay? That's what the series is all about, this, this notion where Paul says, you know what I'm like? I'm like a jar of clay. Jars of clay back in the ancient world, we learned this last week, they were throwaway. They were common containers. They were unimpressive. And Paul's like, you know, that's what I am. He was acknowledging the truth in what the super apostles were saying to criticize him. These super apostles had said, Paul is unimpressive. He's timid. He's not a good public speaker you know what Paul says to the people in Corinth? They're right. I admit as much. They're onto the truth. That's what I am. I am a pretty unimpressive container. He said, but inside I have got pure treasure. There's a certain irony. Do you see the irony of money in a sour cream container? The irony of treasure in a jar of clay. Christians, Paul and us, we are ironic individuals. In one sense, we are so painfully ordinary, but in another sense, we've got treasure within. Uh, that's what we learned about last week. Last week's message was entitled, The Treasure. This week, we're going to call today's message, The Jar. And so let's take a look, shall we? I'm reading 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You know, I'm going to highlight two words, treasure and power. Um, The treasure, last week we learned that the treasure is The knowledge of God's glory. That's what the previous verse had said, is that God is, he's given us the knowledge of his glory as displayed in the face of Christ. And so if the treasure is the knowledge of how glorious, how beautiful, how great, how good God is, we talked about that last week, that that this knowledge of what God's really like is the most important thing about us. That's what A.W. Tozer said in his book. And I believe it. I really do think that nothing is is as important as gaining an accurate understanding of God's glory, knowing what he's like. That's true. That's the treasure. But this verse seems to say that the treasure's in a jar of clay to show that this all-surpassing power, this verse seems to be equating the treasure with power. Last week was equating the treasure with knowledge, of God's glory, this week equating it to power. Does that mean that knowledge equals power? Are are they the same thing? You know, there are some educators that would say that. Yes, knowledge is power. And I suppose there's some truth to that. But more clearly, we can understand what Paul is saying by making this observation. Remember, the, the treasure last week was the knowledge of God's glory. You should know this. When it comes to knowledge... The Jew, the Hebrew, did not see knowledge purely as uh, facts known in the brain, but also experience. In other words, you don't know snow skiing by reading a book about it. You know it by experiencing it. And so when it comes to the attributes of God, we got to know it up here, but that's not enough. The true knowledge of the glory of God is to experience the glory of God. It's not enough to say, I know that God is gracious. To experience God's grace means to receive God's grace, to be forgiven. Some would say, I know that God is loving. Okay, that's great. But to really know it in a Hebraic way. In fact, my professors back in seminary would talk about Hebraic epistemology, which means the Hebrew's understanding of knowing. To know God's love means to bask in God's love, to experience his love. Or to say, I know that God is strong. Oh, that's great. But a Hebrew would know God is strong by experiencing dependence on God's strength. And so now we're beginning to understand how knowledge is equal to power in our lives It's about knowing that God is loving and gracious and powerful and all those other attributes. It means to experience them to where those attributes are manifesting themselves in your life. You're you're encountering the dependence on the strength of God. And when you're connecting with the reality of God in that way, yeah, you can call it all-surpassing power in us. Yes, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You know, let's highlight the from God and not from us. The Lord is trying to avoid a problem. The problem is that when he empowers Christians, when his reality brings about a certain power in our lives, people could assume it's from us. They could assume we're powerful and fail to realize that actually this is God at work in us. And so God says that this, oh, let's put the treasure in a jar of clay, that helps avoid the misunderstanding of where the power is coming from. In other words, God says, if I keep Christians obviously ordinary, obviously weak, obviously flawed. The people will say, yeah, there's greatness about them, but they're so sort of ordinary. And, and God will say, that way people will know something's up here. They're just an ordinary person. So that power must have a different source. It must come from God. Isn't this beautiful? God strategically wants you to be ordinary. <laughs> This is so refreshing for me because sometimes we Christians put on ourselves the expectation that we've got to be perfect. Even last week, we talked about sanctification, how God gradually grows us in inner beauty. Well, that's true, but never do we become perfect. Do we get rid of all weakness? No, no, no. God says there's a beauty that I bring about, but there's also a humanity that is Painfully ordinary in Christians. You know, if you sometimes live with the expectation, I've got to be perfect. Imagine me. I think we pastors put that expectation on ourselves more than ever. People are looking at us. We got to have our stuff together. We've got to be all that. I'm not all that. I am so ordinary. I am a jar of clay. It's so refreshing for me to read that that has been and always will be God's plan to make our ordinariness obvious so everybody, non believers, believers, so they know if there's any beauty, any power, it's got to come from a different source, from God. Well, let me give you a little example of what, what I'm talking about. It was about a year ago that my folks and I were having a little Chipotle up in Schomburg. And as we're at the table, this guy comes up and he starts saying, Hey, hey, Pastor Jeff, I just had to meet you. And he's all excited and nervous. And he goes to our church. He introduced himself as Doug. And he goes, uh, I said, Doug, these are my folks. And then he turns to my parents and starts telling them how great I am. Your son's the best preacher. And he says, I'm a brand new believer. And Jeff has helped me grow in Christ. And he's just throwing compliments my way at one point i think my mom and dad were like obviously he doesn't know our son very well yet because he thinks jeff's perfect (laughs) he did past tense Uh, this last spring spring break i'm down in florida with my parents again Uh, this one moment though i'm at the poolside having an argument with my wife about dinner, of all things. But we're arguing, and as we're arguing, I notice there's this guy kind of watching us. I'm like, that's weird. And I look over, it's Doug! And Doug is like, I can't believe I bumped into you here, too. Well, I I was really self-conscious in that moment because the humanity of my marriage was on display to Doug. I, I was also subconscious because... Uh, Here, Doug and I are meeting each other in our swimming suits, you know, that's a little weird, huh? And uh, Doug is huge. He has got muscles everywhere. I knew he was big from Chipotle meeting, but with his shirt off, I'm like, wow. And I'm, in contrast, uh, feeling very fluffy, if you know what I mean, in, in this particular moment. And so I'm like, wow, this is great. Doug's seeing the imperfections of my marriage and my struggles with fitness and now, well, Doug and I became friends from that point on, and he's now a part of my small group, my men's small group, where he's hearing me confess my struggles in parenting and my battle with various sins. And, you know, the, let's say my perception, or Doug's perception, I should say, of me has fallen. The once view that Jeff is all that is now, wow, Pastor Jeff is just a jar of clay. I could lament that, but I won't because I know that this is God's plan. If there is any beauty in me, any glory that's rubbed off from the glory of God, Doug knows now that that glory is accessible to him because we're all human. If there's power in us, it's from a different source. And so I'm trying to rest in the reality that it was never God's plan that I'm perfect or you. We were made to be imperfect so that people would see beauty and know something's up there. This is God and not them. Let's let's turn to these next verses. I love verses eight and nine. They say, Paul, speaking of he and his uh, ministry partners, he says, We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. He has four statements there, four statements about his weakness, about his humanity. But in each of those statements about his humanity, there's uh, an allusion to the fact that God's power is at work as well. This wonderful dichotomy of painfully ordinary people filled with a powerful God. Let's go through them one at a time, shall we? The first one is, he says, we are hard pressed on every side. Every side, pressure coming in like a a can, you know, that's beginning to be crushed. Stress would be the right term for us. You know, we're stressed, feel the pressure, but not crushed. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, the pressure's Tremendous, but by the grace of God, we're not destroyed by it. You know, sometimes people will say to me, and maybe to you, hey, you doing okay? You look a little stressed. And we might be tempted to say, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine, totally fine. No, you know what? I'm stressed. Do you know that's God's plan? We are human, and we should feel the pressures and the hardship of life, and it's okay to admit we're human, it's, it's getting to me. But by the power of God, though stressed, we're not crushed. What's the next one? Perplexed, but not in despair. I love this. Christians, too, get perplexed. What in the world? You know, perplexed means that I'm trying to make sense of what's happening, but I can't. I'm confused. I, I, just my wife and I had a difficult week as a dear friend of ours passed away. Uh, in her late 40s with four little kids. Just a hard, hard story. And godly woman, Jen and I are like, what's up with this? You know, we've been praying for God's miraculous healing in her life. And that healing, at least in the time frame we were looking for, it, it didn't come. Now the Lord's healed her in heaven. But still, why, God, why did you not intervene for the sake of her kids? And we talk about it and We know various principles like God works for the good in horrible situations, and this is a fallen world and there's no promise that Christians are going to get their release from suffering in all cases. But still, we're perplexed. We have questions that are unanswered. Our confusion about how to make sense of this just points to our humanity. But what does it say? Perplexed but not in despair. That's how Jen and I have been. We're like, Lord, don't get it. But we know you are good. We know you have a plan even for that family. So we trust you. Perplexed? Despair? No. By the power of God, it doesn't get that bad. What's next? Persecuted, but not abandoned. You know, quite literally, the Apostle Paul and his co-ministers, they had people persecuting them, enemies who opposed them to the point of causing physical harm. And though people turned on Paul, he says, I'm not abandoned. What does that mean? God is with me. And it's true for us too. You know, we have people problems, maybe not to the point where we're being physically persecuted, but you're going to have people problems where you've got folks who are rejecting you turning against you. And, you know, to admit that to others and say, man, I got people problems. And yet God is by my side. Even in the midst of the rejection from others, we embrace the love of God and the fact that we'll never be abandoned. It's that dichotomy, human weakness, divine power. One more. It says, struck down, but not destroyed. Struck down. This is the worst yet. This is someone who has fallen, someone who has failed, someone who has collapsed like a boxer who's gone down for seemingly down for the count. But it says not destroyed. They get back up. Christians fail. Christians have seasons of life where it's just crumbling. But God meets them and renews their strength and enables them to press on. Here, let me give you a little example from the Olympics. Have you been watching the Olympics? So much fun. Well, one American swimmer has just been crushing it. Caleb Dressel has gotten five gold medals. His focus is butterfly and sprint freestyle, which were my events back when I was on the high school swim team. So I've been zooming in on him. He, in butterfly, he set the world record in the 100 fly. Can you believe that? Beating Michael Phelps, his previous world record. And so Caleb has been called the fastest swimmer in world history. So much fun. And yet, if you hear Caleb tell his story, he will admit that he crumbled. Back when he was a senior in high school, Though a Christian, Caleb had been raised in a Christian home, was a follower of Christ, but life became too much for him. And he just kind of emotionally imploded. He describes it this way, that he was struggling with mental demons. And as a result of this collapse, he quit the swim team, let down his teammates. You know, he was the star of the team, but he said, I'm done. And walked away from swimming, seemingly for good. The thing I love about uh, Butterfly, the stroke, is that, you may know, the swimmer plunges under the water and then bursts out in this heroic posture, like soaring with your arms wide. It's, It's this picture of death and resurrection, at least the way I see it. And wouldn't you know, that's what Caleb Dressel did. He was down... But he burst back in swimming and in life, back in his college years, in heroic fashion. You say, how did he do it? Well, if you look for clues, you'll find one on his shoulder. If you look closely, on his shoulder is this big old tattoo of an eagle. And he got that tattoo because of the verse that was a game changer for him. Back in those days, he came upon Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31, which read, Even young men stumble and fall. (laughs) Caleb was a young man, uh, one of God's young men, and he connected because he said, I stumbled and I fell. But the verse goes on to say, But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength, they will soar on wings like eagles. And friends, he realized that falling, failing, was normal. But if he would trust in the Lord, he would, defi- he would find a divine strength meeting him in his hour of need. And that's what happened. And Caleb Dressel burst out of the water, figuratively speaking, and soared like an eagle. And he has accomplished greatness in swimming beyond all others. And it's just a picture Beautiful reminder. The failure, complete collapse, happens, even to Christians. But with God's strength, there can be a resurrection, a bursting forth, a renewal that only God can bring. I got one more verse that I want to read with you, and that is verse 10. Let's close with this one. Verse 10 says this. We always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in us. You know, Jesus was a dichotomy. There was kind of two sides to his story. There was the weakness and the crucifixion, but then the resurrection. And what Paul's pointing to is that as Christians, we're connected to Jesus, so much so that his story becomes our story. There's the death side of us, the weakness and failure side. But there's also the resurrection side where the life of Christ in us bursts forth in beautiful display. Friends, what verses, huh? Are you going to be perfect? No! It's never been God's plan for you to be perfect. In fact, God wants to showcase your weakness, your humanity, your ordinariness. Let me, let me close by reading these verses altogether one more time. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but never in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Christ, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in us. Friends, let's pray. God, we are so grateful that your plan includes our ordinariness. Lord, some of us have put the burden of trying to be perfect on us. And I thank you that these verses make it clear that we'll never be perfect. uh, That is until we get to heaven. And so, Lord, may my imperfect brothers and sisters be encouraged that, yes, their humanity is seen, but so is your power. And, God, may that be true of everybody at the Compass Church. And may you be glorified as a result. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.